Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On this week's Wealth Track, in an exclusive interview, great investor Charlie Dreyfus explains why he thinks the stock market is priced to perfection and why we should be de-risking our portfolios. Voice Special Equity Funds, Charlie Dreyfus is next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective, Rosalind P. Walter, and the Fairholm Foundation. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Are we in the midst of a small cap renaissance? Well, last year, small company stocks had a stellar year and left their large cap brethren in the dust. The small cap benchmark, the Russell 2000, roared ahead more than 21% versus a 12% advance for the large cap S&P 500. As you can see from this chart showing the relative performance of the two, small company stocks had substantially underperformed large ones for a couple of years before racing ahead, a rally that really took off after the presidential election. Wall Street's thinking is that the Trump platform of regulatory rollbacks, tax cuts, and emphasis on American companies is especially favorable to small business. Well, this week's guest agrees with that analysis, but is concerned that the strong small cap rally has left the stocks priced to perfection. He is Charlie Dreyfus, a noted value investor known for diving deep into the financial statements of the companies he invests in. He has run two mutual funds since their inception. He made his reputation with the Royce Special Equity Fund, a small cap fund for which he was named Morningstar's Domestic Stock Fund Manager of the Year in 2008, and still carries its highest gold medal rating. Since inception, the fund has beaten the market with far less than market risk. The fund was closed to new investors in 2012 because he couldn't find compelling values for new money coming in. He reopened it just last year. He was finding value in large cap stocks, however, and at year-end 2010, launched the Royce Special Equity Multicap Fund to invest in them. This fund has underperformed its market benchmark with more than market risk. I will definitely ask him why. But first, I wanted to know why he decided to reopen his flagship Roy Special Equity Fund after being closed to new investors for four years. In its life, the fund had uh, been closed six of its 18 years as of then. You close a fund when there's a, a issue about capacity, being able to find names, because if you don't find new names to invest, the cash builds and dilutes the progress the existing investors would benefit by. Right. It's a matter of stewardship. Right. Um, you know, it's, we should always put 
the client first. Obviously, many managers might keep a fund open because it's lucrative right. to the firm and the managers to do so, but not for the clients, uh, the shareholders. So we opened it because I thought there may be a sell-off in the market, and historically, uh, investors have come to me and uh, wanted to buy my fund mm -hmm. during those periods of time because they know I'm opportunistic. I'll right. take advantage, I'll find good names, and they'll, they'll make money in, in doing that. Now, it's interesting because we opened the fund the very beginning of January of 2016, and the market did decline in January and early February. Right, the so was February 16th, I think. Right, exactly. Right. So I was able to find a lot of names. Interestingly enough, no one showed up to the party. We didn't get a lot of new investors. Uh, I did uh, invest for my grandchildren in the mm -hmm. fund then, so I know of two new investors. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, as the year progressed, uh, the market went up, and there were fewer opportunities. Now, had I had a huge inflow of money last right. year, I would have been forced to shut it again mm -hmm. because it's very difficult in this elevated market to find opportunities. Charlie, as a, as a matter of fact, in 2016, your fund outperformed your benchmark by, by a huge margin. So how do you explain that outperformance? Well, fortunately, it came about as... Uh, the historical performance pattern of the fund has been in that the outperformance of the fund occurs because it defends well during adverse times. The 1,100 basis points or 11% of outperformance occurred entirely during the times when the market went down and we went down either less or actually advanced during those periods of time. Why is that? Why do you do better uh, in down markets, periods of down markets, than, uh, than the, the benchmark? It has to do with the whole methodology. Uh, mm -hmm. I select securities that have, uh, in the parlance of Ben Graham, the granddaddy of right. security analysis, uh, a margin of safety. I often describe it as a margin of safety squared. Um, my colleague Steve McBoyle and I look for companies that are absolutely inexpensive. And, and, and what does that mean, absolutely well, inexpensive? Well, as, as, as a business person, you could buy the company it's in, in its entirety using modest earnings numbers, meaning no improvement to the current numbers. So many times when people buy things, they look to the future and they assume better. Yes. I don't assume better. I assume at best it's going to be as good as it's been the past 12 months. And in fact, if I have a feeling that the next 12 months are worse, I will use a lower number. Mm -hmm. So if the return the investor earns in that calculation exceeds the financing cost, it has absolute value. And having run funds in this fashion for 37, 38 years, I've noticed that when the market loses its bearing as to what the proper valuation is, the absolute value kicks in, and absolute value translates into ultimately absolute return, particularly if you also stress besides the absolute value, 
an insistence that it's a good company, that it has high return on invested capital, it's productive. It has, right. in um, Warren Buffett's addition to Ben Graham's work, the idea of a moat, a niche, something unique to the company. And that, coupled with the third ingredient, which is um, a stress of the company's accounting and governance, uh, how accountable are management, is management? Charlie, explain to me what it means to have accountable management. What does that mean? Well, it takes various forms, Consuelo. It, it, it has to do with not only the veracity of the numbers. The numbers that the company reports should reflect economic reality. They really shouldn't embellish it, mm-hmm. nor should they detract from it. It should be the actual results. And one can do a deep dive into the financials and see to what extent companies are taking shortcuts, advantages. And what we found is when companies act shareholder-friendly and uh, honestly and ethically, it's pervasive. And unfortunately, the flip side is also pervasive. Charlie, given kind of the high standards that you're setting, um, I mean, in accounting alone for the companies that you're looking at, um, how hard is it to find companies that meet your standards? It's a great question, Consuelo. It is very hard. Uh, to make it into our portfolios, we've often used the term, although uh, we haven't actually calculated it, but it appears that roughly one of the 15 companies we look at now, we screen a database for candidates. Mm-hmm. We decide what we're going to look at. Out of those that we look at, perhaps one out of 15 ultimately get into the portfolio because it has to have the attraction of the uh, absolute value, margin of safety. It has to have a high return on invested capital. It has to meet all of these governance and accounting standards and then some other accounting metrics, free cash flow, low leverage, things like that. And so it's a very demanding, um, uh, I like to refer to it as disciplined, Some people have said rigid, and I plead guilty to rigid. (laughs) Uh, It works. I Mm -hmm. mean, I've seen over many periods of time how that contributes to the defensive characteristic of the portfolio. Why didn't it work in 2015? That was, you know, one of the exceptions in in your long track record of uh, it didn't work and you actually underperformed the market in a down market. Yes. What happened? Great question, and I am actually embarrassed, but I'm glad that you raised it, Consuelo. Um, I, in 2015, indeed, was the worst year of my career, not in the absolute number. No. I've managed to do worse than I did in 2015 in an absolute manner, but it was the only year in a down market, as you mentioned, that I declined more than the market. Mm-hmm. Now, 2015 had many factors that were somewhat unique. People were looking for dreams, for revenue growth, the economy. And frankly, this is what uh, tilted, I believe, the election. The economy has been underperforming for such a long period of time that 
uh, GDP growth was so tepid, which didn't allow revenue growth. Mm -hmm. And so there was a premium for companies that displayed strong revenue Absolutely. growth. Absolutely. So that was biotech. And then... And you don't buy companies like that. I don't buy no. them because they're selling on expectations. Right. Uh, some don't even have any earnings, let alone uh, a modest mm -hmm. amount of earnings. So 2015 was that on steroids in the sense it became known as the FANG stocks, F-A-N-G. Yes. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And those four stocks accounted in the large cap indices for more than the entire advance. It was a very narrow market. Now, what do those four stocks have in common? Rapid revenue growth. Right. And people were striving, uh, seeking, uh, hungry for those kinds of companies. I don't invest in those mm -hmm. kind of companies. Mm -hmm. And everything else in the market basically did poorly. You know, how do you explain their kind of the recovery, the, the resurgence, the renaissance that's occurred in small cap stocks. Why is this happening now? Well, it has to do in part of the uniqueness, even pre-election, but certainly post-election, um, having to do with U.S.-centric businesses. There are a lot of concerns about what's going on, let alone with our neighbors, mm -hmm. but around the world. A lot of the tax uh, talk in terms of the new administration, in terms of tax reform. Right, tax cuts. Mm -hmm. Tax cuts would benefit companies with high tax rates. The companies that have high tax rates are domestic. Right. They haven't taken advantage of the lower offshore tax rates. Small caps yes. benefit by that. Also, so, the rollback in regulations, if right. that occurs, that's going to help the small businesses exactly. all say that my number one issue is regulation. Regulation, regulation. Uh, Obamacare, all these kinds of things right. which had been uh, highlighted by small companies as being uh, headwinds mm -hmm. become less so. And to the extent that the U.S. economy improves, companies that are U.S.-centric rather than multinational, benefit the most. Right. So there's been a resurgence in small cap, although the entire market in 2016 was very broad and advanced. Now what? As a value manager um, with the special equity fund investing in small cap stocks, how do the values in small caps look at this point? Not too inviting. Um, they're expensive. They're Is expensive. That right? mm -hmm. Yeah, valuations are high. Valuations were high going into the election already. Mm -hmm. Post the election, the market has advanced, uh, record highs on the indices, um, and yet interest rates rose. So if you go back to my buying a company as a business, if I have to pay more for the business, I'm going to earn less as a return. Right. And yet, when I finance it, I'm going to have to pay more to borrow the money. So the market is even less attractive now than it was before the election. And the market, in my opinion, is priced to perfection. So this can get resolved, in my opinion, two ways. Time. Mm -hmm. The market does nothing for a period of time, whether that's a year or two, if the market goes flat, and in fact, the economy improves, then earnings catch up to valuation, valuations decline, things become much more attractive. 
The other way that it corrects, which is less pleasant, is, is a big decline. Right, a which, big correction. A big correction, mm -hmm. which could happen, you know, for any reason, uh, you know, a black swan reason, uh, God forbid terrorism, you know, mm -hmm. all kinds of things can happen. Therefore, what, what, are, you, what are you doing uh, with the special equity fund? How are you positioning it, possibly expecting some sort of a possible event? People give me the money in special equity to invest. So I don't market time. The cash is a residual, mm -hmm. but having said that, the market influences the residual. If the names available to invest in, if I can't find anything to invest in, and the names that I already have populated in the portfolio become more expensive, I sell the ones that are expensive, and I'm not replacing it with anything new. Right. So cash, as a percentage of the portfolio, rises. So it's not a... It's not a direct market call. I'm, it's not a macro market mm -hmm. call, but it's a bottom-up market call, which I think is even more important. When you can't find merchandise, if you have a discipline that has worked for many years and there are no new opportunities, don't force it. Don't do something that is not part of the discipline because the discipline works over time. Charlie, let me ask you about the... the Roy Special Equity multi-cap yeah. fund. How do you view the values opportunities in large cap stocks in that space at this particular juncture? The large caps statistically are less expensive. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean there are enormous number of attractive names there either. That universe is also uh, expensive. Valuations are high. There's, there's no way of cutting it to say that the market is better than fairly priced, no matter which category of U.S. equities you look mm -hmm. at. So uh, we, we continue to invest in the multi-cap space. The multi-cap fund has been in existence for six years. Mm -hmm. um, it has underperformed the index mm -hmm. over the six years. Right, but but we, in, in that case, it's the Russell 1000. It has, which is surprising given your track record. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and also, uh, I was reading the profile that, that Royce puts out about it. It says it's higher than market volatility. Yeah. Um, well, well, what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, it has been a surprising event. Right, with what your approach. You know, right. which is the same approach in looking at companies so carefully. Again, well, again, because much of that time, right. particularly in large cap, was biotech and the FANG stocks. Yes. I didn't own those. No. So what I owned, compared to the rest of the universe that did well, tended to do much poorer and therefore had greater volatility. So what... Any fund, whether it's my fund or anyone else's fund, what you really have to judge a fund over is ideally a very long time period. The other thing that you've done with in the, the multi-cap fund is that you've invested uh, in a number of you know, the dividend aristocrats. And these are, these are large cap companies with long histories of paying dividends very hot area in this you know, low yield environment when everyone was stretching for yield. 
And uh, you know, I just re and remember as the one investments that when you've been right. on the show in the last couple of times, you can't recommend your own funds. So right. you uh, recommended a couple of ETFs, uh, uh, a Spider and a and a Vanguard that were investing in these consistent dividend payers. How does that space look now? They've gotten very expensive right. because. Besides law, these dividend aristocrats not only have paid dividends for very long periods of time, but they've increased. Increased dividends every year, right? Yeah. So in many cases, dividend aristocrats generally are those who have done it more than 25 years, but we have ones in, in this multi-cap that have done it for more than 50 yes. years. And then we have the next generation. I refer, if the dividend aristocrats are the uh, kings and queens, then we're looking for the princes, princes and, and princesses <laughs> uh, in terms of the next generation. And, uh, and there is a next generation oh, that there you is. identified? I mean, uh, Apple is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Microsoft, Cisco, all of the old, very expensive at one point in time, technology stocks that became much more mature, they are now becoming these dividend aristocrats. Mm -hmm. You buy a, a an amalgamation of those kinds of securities, you don't know what you're going to get in 10 years, but over those 10 years, you're going to get rising income every right. year. And it's possible, likely even, that you know over 10 years you'll get more than what mm -hmm. you invested. Therefore, what would you recommend today that we all own in a long-term diversified portfolio? Well, I'm going to tilt the question, if I right. may. You can try. Um, I can try. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 I do have a recommendation, but given the elevated level of the market, I think it's time for people to de-risk their portfolios. The first thing is whatever the individual's preferred asset class is, mm -hmm. you know, growth stocks, foreign stocks, they should seek out funds, portfolios, that have a defensive characteristic, that have a good downside capture ratio, a favorable downside, where it shows, if you're going to be in this asset class, try to be in something that is less risky. Because mm -hmm. I think there's a high probability we're going to see a decline of some magnitude at some point. Uh -huh. the, the other thing, when, when, when approached, when you say to people, well, you know, it's time to de-risk a bit, they sell, say, well, I don't want to sell anything because I'd have to pay a lot in taxes. And then so I say to them, well, do you have a 401k or something like that, a retirement plan? And the answer is almost universally yes. Well, there are no taxes there. So one way to de-risk your portfolio is to just sell whatever you wish in your 401k, mm -hmm. but remember to go back at some point. Now, there are ways of sort of getting that, and that's the name that I have in mind, which is, it's called the Vanguard Life Strategy Moderate Growth Fund. The symbol is VSMGX which th that fund is 60% equities, 40% fixed income, divided both domestically and internationally. So basically, if, if the market comes down historically, uh, the economy 
does less well. Interest rates come down or at least don't advance. So the bond part, which is of concern, if, if the economy is very strong now, interest rates are going to rise, bond prices are going to decline. But in terms of de-risking, to have a diversified portfolio, which is something, of course, Consuelo, that you have stressed and mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense, but a lot of people don't have that kind of portfolio. There are portfolios that combine this. This Vanguard one is a low-cost provider, of course. It's a large fund. It pays over 2% current yield, mixture of the equities and the fixed income. And I would think, I would expect that during a downturn, it will go down, mm -hmm. but it will go down less. I just think we're at an inflection, we're, we're approaching an inflection point, and I'd like your viewers to give some thought to it. We're going to leave it there. Charlie Dreyfus, thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack, as always. Such a pleasure to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you, Consuelo. At the close of every wealth truck, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point follows up on Charlie Dreyfus's advice. It is de-risk your portfolio. We do not believe in market timing on wealth track, but we do believe in recognizing when a security or sector or asset class or even entire market appears overvalued and taking prudent action. Eight years into a bull market with so many indexes trading near record levels, it is time to take some money out of the market. There are two market truisms that bear repeating. One, price matters. And two, reversion to the mean. When something gets out of whack, it will eventually revert back to its normal valuation. Well, next week, we're going to focus on a big investment expense you can control, taxes. Tax strategy experts Brian Langstrat and Scott Welsh will share their strategies to minimize taxes and maximize returns. In the meantime, to hear more of our interview with Charlie Dreyfus and the importance of having investments that don't keep you awake at night, click on the extra feature on our website, wealthtrack.com. Also, thank you for connecting with us on Facebook and Twitter. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one. New York Life, along with Mainstay's family of mutual funds, offers investment and retirement solutions so you can help your clients keep good going. Additional funding provided by Thornburg Investment Management, Active Management, Flexible Perspective, Rosalind P. Walter, and the Fairholme Foundation.